0: This is the Birth Village Podcast. Welcome back to the Birth Village podcast. I'm Morgan Brouwer and today I am joined by Katie Goobler, certified nurse midwife. We are really excited to have Katie with us. She works in the hospital here in St. George. She does exclusively hospital deliveries and we are working really hard to make sure that we can bridge the gap between the two worlds to make sure that everybody knows that we are all on the same team. And Katie is really on board with that message. And so we are so excited to have her here. We talked about her a little bit before on the episode with um, Katie Smith when she talked about her delivery and then Katie Googler luckily caught wind that we were dying to speak with her. And so she obliged to join us. Katie, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm just so excited to be here. You guys are some amazing women.
0: Oh, thank you so much. We do also have Trish sitting in the corner so she can like wave at me and stuff (laughs) if I'm forgetting anything. So if you hear an extra laugh in the background, you know where it's coming from. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Katie, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself personally? Sure. Um, (laughs) Where do I start? (laughs) Yeah, where do I start? Where are you from? Tell us like how many kids you have, stuff like that. Okay, thank you.
1: Um, so I grew I was an army brat for three weeks, lived in <laughs> Kansas, and my dad was um he was honorably discharged, and we moved to California and we lived three different places there, and then we moved to Reno and lived there for three years, North Salt Lake for a year, and then St. George, Santa Clara. Um, so I went to high school down here and that okay. was that was fun. Um it it was just we just went lots of places, and it was, it was really a cool thing. I'm the oldest of nine children. Whoa. Crazy, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I got married later in life. I was 39, and we have two amazing girls, um, Maggie and Ava. Uh, they're nine and six. And we were talking about this a little bit before. It's just motherhood is motherhood's a crazy journey. It's just a lot of stuff. It seriously is. (laughs) It's an up and down all the time. Uh So so especially when they're sleeping, they are even more amazing. It's (laughs) (laughs) when they're not so tiny anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And when they're, when they're, yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm quite looking forward to that. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's a good time. Awesome.
1: well, what
0: what made you interested in birth in the first place?
1: Okay. Well, I'm the oldest of nine, so yeah. there was a lot of that going on in our family. Um, <laughs> we were always excited when there was a new baby coming. Um, I don't really remember my mom saying, hey, feel the baby or anything like that. She probably did. I just don't remember. <laughs> sure.
0: What's the age gap between you and the youngest?
1: So about 16 years. Okay. Wow. So, Yeah. She had six of us in 10 years and then it kind of spaced a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Woo.
0: What a woman.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. And then, so I got sick when I was 19. I think I had a bunch of like big ovarian cysts mm. and endometriosis and all the junk that yeah. comes with that. So I had a few surgeries trying to figure that out and, and during that time, it was my first couple years of college, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, right? Mm-hmm. So um, as I had those surgeries, I became more aware of that part of life, I guess, just medical piece and yeah. that. And so then I, I just got interested in that. And I'm like, I should be a nurse. Okay. Okay. So um, I went into nursing. I, w- I graduated from BYU. And um, I... <laughs> I, uh, my favorite, my most favorite semester was women's health and Ooh. delivery and babies and, and even pediatrics. I really enjoyed pediatrics. I didn't know that I would, but it okay. was, it was a cool experience.
0: It just like caught, like grabbed hold of your heart kind of. Yeah.
1: I mean, I knew I loved the women's health piece anyway, just going into nursing. But mm-hmm. then when I got into, um, labor and delivery, I was like, I was hooked. Okay, I, mean, I did the best on all my <laughs> tests on that one because I just yeah. studied it and loved it and that and um and part of that too, my mom with her last two deliveries, she was in bed. she had a incompetent cervix and she oh. so there was a lot of high risk stuff going on and so I learned some stuff from her about that too yeah um, you know so that it it it's just kind of been a focus, I guess, kind of throughout my life yeah um, I had no idea there was such a thing as a nurse midwife. I, I didn't even know there were really midwives around still, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's something back in the olden days with the pioneers yeah. and <laughs> all of that. So, um, we had an opportunity to do clinical, um, clinical experiences with nurse midwives from Salt Lake that would go out to Wendover and, um, on the Utah side of Wendover and mm. they would do just some, some care for the women out there that needed it, that were kind of low income, high risk patients and I got to go out with them. And I, I think I did two two experiences with, with them out there. And I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> and you deliver babies? Yeah. Huh, this is really cool. So it kind of just got in the back of my head. Um, and then I, I got out of school and immediately I went into labor and delivery. I mean, that's where I wanted to be. Okay. That was my love, you know. You just knew. I just, yeah, that was it. I just loved it. And I, um, I went to labor and delivery at Utah Valley and learned a lot there. And that was back in the day when an epidural, the good epidural was the one where you couldn't feel anything. It was just like, you're just numb. (laughs) And that was the good epidural, right? Which has totally changed. Can't move your leg at all. (laughs) Yeah. You can't move. You can't feel. You can't anything. Um, which, like I said, has changed. Yeah. The good epidural now is you can feel pressure, you can kind of move yourself around, and and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is really a lot nicer. <laughs> Just want to clarify. <laughs> there was air quotes. You guys couldn't see them. <laughs> I have to talk with my hands. <laughs> so hard, especially when I'm talking about dilation stuff. <laughs> of course. Anyway, um, where was I? I don't even know. I was it Utah Valley? Yeah. For a long time. But, you know, I came to work every day, and I was terrified I was going to hurt a mom or a baby. Oh. Every day at work. And I um, I worked about a year, and then I was like, I just can't do this right now. And yeah. I, I backed off for probably about a year and a half.
0: I Where think. did you go? What did you do? Um,
1: I worked doing... Um, embroidering (gasps) t-shirts and you weren't even doing nursing at all Mm -hmm. I totally backed out because you felt that nervous I was I was really nervous about it because I cared so much about these you know these moms and these babies and yeah you would hear the stories about the emergency c-sections and the you know all these things and I was just like I don't know if I can do this and um so I backed off I actually went (laughs) amazingly enough I was remember I'm single at this point yeah yeah (laughs) um so I went back to school and got an MBA that during that time. And then the, my last year of the MBA, I went back to work as a labor nurse. And I'm like, well, this isn't that bad. I really like uh, this. What was I thinking before? This is before. so much better. Yeah. But it did kind of set me up for kind of where my life went a little bit later. And when I was working, so I was working at Timpanogos Hospital at that point up in Orem. And I... Um, and we were working with midwives okay. then and they would come and, and do deliveries with us. And it was a different experience. Um, and what, what, I, what was different? It, I mean, just the, the midwife model is just, yeah. when, when I went up to, so I worked with Lori Hansen as one of my mentors in, in the nurse midwife program. And she is amazing. I love that woman. <laughs> um, when I walked into her office, it was just a totally different feel. It's just, um, it's peaceful, it's yeah. calming, it's, it's yeah. just different. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was different, you know, with our patients. We were able to spend a little bit more time with them. Mm-hmm. We were we were able to get to know them on more on a personal level. It's not just, you know, you're coming in and let's, um, you know, which baby is this for you? And how many weeks are you? Yeah. Okay. Did you get this done? Great. Okay. See you later. Yeah. It's more than that. I mean, I, that's what I love about the midwife model is that I think is missing in labor and delivery. You get to be with these patients for 12 hours and then you never see them again. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in this most intimate time of their the life. Most intimate. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you have this amazing experience with them and you never get to see them again. Or if you do, it's like totally Hershey lucky, store, yeah. right? <laughs> right. I mean, there have, there are a few times when you get the same nurse again, but it's not very often. Yeah. And with midwifery, that's one of the things I love is I get to kind of grow up with these moms and their families and, you know, how's your baby and how old are they now? Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, I can't believe it's been five years. And yeah. That kind of thing. Um, so I think that's kind of what's different about okay. the midwife model plus and at the hospital it was they were just able to spend more time. It wasn't just coming for the birth. They were able to spend a little bit more time with them. So and and by that you mean like the midwife is
0: in the room for a lot more of your labor than an OB for example who kind of just comes in right at the very end to catch the baby and do all the
1: baby things. Yes. I mean, there are some OBs, though, that will stay longer. And, and okay. that. so I don't want to, I don't want to make a blanket statement like sure. that. But I do, I do think the midwife model lends itself more to
0: that. That makes sense. It's It's like more common, more right. easy for the midwives to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So would you say that you are like really passionate about women and children? Like, is that... Or is it just labor and delivery? Because before we were talking about you got interested in all the
1: women and children stuff. Mm-hmm. Did it narrow mm-hmm. down for you at this point? Um. So I, I was going there, wasn't I? <laughs> so yeah. Timpanogos, I, um, I was like, man, you know, I should go back to school and become a nurse midwife. This is really cool. I'd love to do okay. it. Now, just remember, though, I just got done with an MBA. Just. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like just got done. <laughs> like I was still working there while I was finishing it up. Yeah. Um, and I just was like, you know, I'm going to just kind of think about that. And in my brain, I just like, you know, if I'm 35 and still single, I'll go back to school. <laughs> okay. And I was almost 36 when i was like, okay, I guess I better <laughs> go back to school. Yeah. <laughs> it's been the best decision in my career. It's been so awesome because, um, when I went back to school, I was managing labor and delivery at that time over at the hospital, Okay, which the MBA came in really handy for that. And I think I was able to build some good relationships with physicians and with nurses and, um, you know, a lot of people. And I think that has really helped me as I've moved into this role as a nurse midwife. Okay. Yeah. And how,
0: what is the process of becoming a certified nurse midwife?
1: Okay. So you need to be an RN. Okay um, and then you go on well, I take that back. there are certified midwives that you can do um, that you don't have to be an RN but a certified nurse midwife you have to be an RN and then you go on and get a master's degree and it's a nurse practitioner so I'm able to prescribe I'm able to do orders in the hospital mm-hmm. um, and it it took me about three three and a half years because I, the first little bit I was doing, I'm like, I'm just going to do this a little bit and see <laughs> what I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to jump in yet. Sure. Um, At the fastest, how fast does it go? Probably two and a half years. Okay. That's my guess. Cause you've got to have so many hours of yeah. um, working with moms and babies and, and providers and all the things.
0: Yeah. Okay. And you were still working during the whole time that you were doing that program, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the first couple years I was doing it, I was the nurse manager in labor and delivery at the hospital. Okay. And then the the last year I, I stepped down to part-time and did, I was a quality manager person oh. for women and children. Okay. So, which was good because I still needed to pay the bills to take care of school. <laughs> yeah.
0: For sure. Right? For sure. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Well, we're so grateful that you like put yourself through all that and did all of that <laughs> because we need you here in St. George. <laughs> so
1: it's so great for me. I love it.
0: Well, I have heard just phenomenal things about you, and I think it's amazing that we are so lucky to have you. Oh, thank here. you, Morgan. Yeah, of course. So, do you have any like memories from your career that really stand out to you that you'd like to share with us? Anything that really changed you?
1: I don't know that I had any specific thing that did. I think it's just been kind of a journey. Okay, yeah, yeah. I definitely. I mean, every every time you learn more stuff. Yeah. And I think I, I learned how to trust myself, trust my intuition, trust that I could ask questions of people if I was concerned about things so that I wouldn't hurt a mom or a baby, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay, so back to
0: the midwifery model of care, do you think that it affects the outcome that you'll have with a patient by spending so much time with them?
1: Um, I do. I do yeah. think it does. I think it, um, when I know somebody pretty well, it helps in the birth process. It also helps postpartum, you know, as yeah. they're going through their, um, through the change of, okay, I'm a mom now. I think that first baby is like, Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's one baby and moms that have several babies are probably like, well, I can do, you know, whatever. But that first baby is the first paradigm shift when you're like, oh, I'm totally responsible for a human being. (laughs) Totally. I mean, I'm married. I have a husband, but he can go feed himself. (laughs) Right. He can go earn money. He can Mm -hmm. whatever. But this baby is 24 seven and I'm responsible for that. I mean, all the time. And it's, it's figuring out how to do that and how to decrease the anxiety and, and those kind of things. And if I know somebody through the process, then it, it makes it a little bit easier for me to see that that's happening. It also makes it a little bit easier for them to listen to me when I say, Hey, I'm worried about this. This doesn't seem right. Or, um, or you're doing a really good job. And I think we need to do some other things to help you feel better. Sure. For this postpartum time, you know, or in, or in, uh, antepartum. So when they're coming in while they're pregnant, that kind of thing. It just makes, makes that level of trust a lot higher. I think so. Who's your
0: ideal patient? Who, who do you take on? I I guess those were two different questions. Let's start (laughs) with who do you take on as a patient, as a certified nurse midwife?
1: So as you said before, I exclusively deliver at the hospital. Yeah. So if they're planning on um, a hospital birth, then I take them. I don't I don't take um, patients that have had C-sections before, not because I couldn't, but because they're higher risk and it, it's kind of a waste of resources because okay. the obstetrician has to be there in-house in case something were to happen with um needing to go back for a C-section quickly, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So there are, and then higher risk, like usually I don't take insulin dependent diabetics. Okay. That was a, that was with, with Dr. Smith. That was a, um, not something I usually do, but she was in such good control as she talked about. So I can say, yeah, (laughs) Um, I was able to take her and we were able to work on things that she wanted to do. And sometimes, like if somebody ends up with preeclampsia that's very severe, and they need magnesium, and and like they need medical management to make sure that they're okay, those those kind of patients, then I I turn over to Doctor Doctor Lunt is my consulting physician most of the time.
0: Will you tell me a little bit more about your relationship with Doctor Lunt and how you guys have to work together and all that good stuff?
1: Yeah, so I work for Dr. Lunt, and I, in order to deliver at the hospital, I need to have an obstetrician that basically says I I know what she's doing and I can back her up. Okay, if that makes sense. Yeah, and um, and Dr. Lunt is amazing. He and I knew this going in when I when I was going to work with him that I knew that if I had a question, he wasn't going to get mad. Yeah, and I don't think our OBs would get mad, but I just knew he. We had a good rapport and he, if it's three o'clock in the morning, he's not going to be like, why are you waking me up? He's going to be like, well, let's do this or, or have you thought about this or whatever? He's very good to work with. Um, He lets me be as autonomous as I need to be Mm -hmm. or feel like I can be because we have a trust with each other. He knows that I'm not going to go too far. If he, if he has a concern, he's going to say, how do you feel about this? And we'll talk about it and. And, um, and if I have a concern, I'm talking to him about it. And some people we co-manage, so we're okay. We're kind of both doing stuff and some people I'm able to just manage and other people he needs to take over. Yeah. So, Sounds like
0: you guys have a lot of mutual respect between you. Yes. That's we, really I think cool.
1: we do in our office. There's just a lot of great people that work there. That's awesome. Um, and it's, it's a very collaborative, um, good working environment. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the same at the hospital too. I really feel like being able to work with the nurses. Um, I am, I am not one to say, okay, we need to do this for sure. And that's how it's going to be. You know, that's, that's just not my personality. You're not laying the law down. (laughs) No. And there are some people that do, and that's okay. That's their personality, but that's not my personality. So I try and say, Hey, um, what do you think we need to do here, you know, with the nurses and yeah. and the techs? I mean, the techs are amazing. Yeah. The nurses are amazing. The people that work in labor and delivery are really great. That's and, so true. And they've come, you know, when I first started in labor and delivery, again, the best epidural was you couldn't feel <laughs> anything. Right. And we really didn't get a lot of training on how do we help support somebody if they don't have an epidural. Yeah. That has changed dramatically. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I first started 20-something years ago, 25, Uh 27, I don't know. Um, You know, they were talking about the golden hour and how important it was to get baby breastfeeding and all that. And the nurses are like, there is no way. And that wasn't at this hospital. This is a different (laughs) hospital. They're like, there is no way. We need to get all this other stuff done and whatever. And that has made a total 180. And, And the nurses recognize, hey, this is a really important piece. We need to make sure that mom has the baby um, skin to skin and, um, it's able to nurse if they're planning to nurse and all of those kind of important things. Mm -hmm. And they're asking questions. Are you okay if we take the baby over to weigh or why don't you just let me know when it's time, when you feel ready Mm -hmm. for us to weigh the baby or they'll do their assessment when, um, the baby's on mom's chest, you Mm -hmm. know, so that they're not having to remove the baby and that, um, so I just think there's a lot of really great rapport and respect among the labor and delivery nurses, the hospitalists, the you know, the, the obstetricians that are there, the techs. It it really is yeah. they're they're everybody there has the desire to have healthy moms and healthy babies. Yeah. I mean that's the goal. Yeah. And we talked about it a little bit earlier yeah. before we started this, but everybody's perspective is maybe a little bit different on how to get there. Yeah. You know, the mom's coming in, the grandma's, the, (laughs) (laughs) the, yeah. Um, you know, and then somebody else seeing, Hey, this is going on with this baby strip and we're worried about this heart, heart Mm -hmm. rate rhythm and, and that kind of thing. So there is a lot of times you have to talk to people and say, okay, this is what's happening. Yeah. This is why I'm concerned. This is where I think we need to go. And, um, and have that conversation with, with our patients and their families, um, and and I have that conversation with like Dr. Lent or anybody else that would be covering me, mm-hmm. and saying, okay, this is what, this is what I'm concerned about, or, or whatever. Um, and and it's like I tell my patients too, because a lot of times I get asked, well, how often do you go to C-section? And of course, that's not my favorite thing to do. Yeah, but. I'm grateful we have the option. You right. know what I mean, right? Because back in the day when they didn't have the option, what did you do? Ooh, not good. A sad, a sad, some sad things. <laughs> very sad <laughs> things, right? So there, there are definitely times when it's appropriate. Yeah. Um, but it's like I tell my patients though, it's very rarely a prolapse cord where the cord is coming out of the birth canal and we're having to rush back to a C-section. Mm-hmm. It's very rarely the heart tones are down and we have to rush. That does happen, mm-hmm. but not very often. Usually, we're able to say, "Okay, this is what's going on." We just don't think this head is going to fit. We've tried for you know this many hours. We're not having any changes. We're concerned. Um, and and it's it's usually a discussion and usually a time for the family the um, to kind of make a decision. We usually will say, "Hey, this is what we think is happening," and step out of the room and let mm. them have a discussion so they don't feel like they're being pressured into it. Yeah. But there is a reason they come to us. Right. I mean, we've, we've done this more than <laughs> four or five times. <laughs> right. Um, and we've got the background you know a thing or two some days more than others, <laughs> 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 but, um, but I mean, that's, that's part of it too. And, and Ultimately, I tell my patients, and you can't see my three fingers, and so that's really hard, but <laughs> <laughs> this is what I tell my patients. I have three goals for you. I have a goal of a healthy mom, healthy baby, a vaginal birth, and the way you want it. Mm-hmm. That's what I want for you. But if I have to start peeling away those things to get a healthy mom, healthy baby, mm-hmm. then that's what I'm going to recommend we do. Yeah. And I stole that from Lori Hansen.
0: I love <laughs> it. Will you say the three things again?
1: Healthy mom, healthy baby. Mm-hmm vaginal birth, the way you want it.
0: Mm. So let's talk about that a little bit, the, the way you want it piece. Mm-hmm. How much variety are you seeing as a certified nurse midwife at the hospital?
1: A lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have anything from like Dr. Smith, um, first baby wanting to go unmedicated, a little bit higher risk to somebody that's had Four babies, all of them have been unmedicated. She's just planning to do the same thing again, not a big deal mm-hmm. to her because she's kind of I mean, it is a big deal. Yeah. That's not yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. saying. But but it's 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 pretty sure that's what's gonna happen because she's done it before and she knows what's going on. Yeah. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have people that come in and say, Can I get my epidural when I'm six months? I mean <laughs> <laughs> I mean <laughs> it's just kind of it's a whole gamut and every and even I've had women that come in and are like, you know what? I've done it unmedicated the last four times. I just really want an epidural this time. Mm. And I'm like, okay. Okay. I love that we have options. Yeah. I love that there are, and, and sometimes you're just in a different space. Yeah. And yeah. Definitely different headspace, different, uh, like, um, yeah. People that are just saying, I just don't want to do this today. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get an epidural and that's how it's going to be. And that's the beauty of it is
0: you can have, you have so many options and you have so much variety in the choices that you can choose. Right. And I just wanted to make the point that you are seeing that full spectrum. Sorry guys, we can't turn off our phones because birth, you know, (laughs) like we need to know when people are calling. Um, we have that, wide spectrum of, of options to choose from Mm -hmm. and you can have whatever you want. Right. Would you say that there's an ideal patient or an ideal, um, someone that lines up with what you know is going to have a really good outcome, like an easy, I don't
1: know what I'm asking you. Are you following me? (laughs) I think so. Okay. I will tell you the patients that come in. Well, let me start with this. Everybody has a birth plan, whether they've written it down or not. Mm. Everybody has something going on with how this is going to go, right? Mm -hmm. The people that are dead set on this is exactly how it's going to (laughs) go. Those are the ones I really worry about. The people that are like, hey, this is what I'd like. If it can work out, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they actually go pretty close to that plan. Yeah. Because they're willing to, you know, say, okay, this this is the experience I'd like to have but I've never done this birth before. That you've just said an important thing. I've never done this birth
0: before. Cause even right. if you've done a birth before, right. everyone's different. Right.
1: Right. So exactly. So, yeah. um, if you, so I like to call them birth preferences, <laughs> okay. birth plans. Yeah. So, so that's probably my favorite patient is the one that comes in and says, this is what I'd like to have happen. And these are the things I'm doing to prepare for that. Mm hmm. But I also know things can change, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's the person that I can help probably mm-hmm. the most. OK. Are you typically seeing
0: people who have some idea of what they want or do you have very many patients who come in and just say,
1: I don't know, up to you. Tell me what to do. <laughs> um, most of them most of them come in with an idea of what they want to do, whether it's um, I want an epidural or I want to go unmedicated. I have a lot of of women that haven't done birth before Mm -hmm. that are like, but I've got a high pain tolerance and they're not really doing anything. Oh, so they just want to go unmedicated because they feel tough. Right. They have a high pain tolerance. And I mean, that's what they say. And they've, but they've never done birth yeah. and it's a different ball game, Mm -hmm. you know, and if somebody comes in and they deliver in three hours, a lot of people can do anything for three hours. If it's a 25 to 36 (sighs) hour labor, that's a whole different ball game, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and we, we've said this on the podcast
0: too before, but birth is so much more mental than physical. Mm -hmm. So if you have a high pain tolerance, you're, that's only helping you like, I don't know, let's say 10% or whatever. Your Mm -hmm. mental game is that Mm -hmm. other 90. So. Right. So do you have any like recommendations of how to
1: prepare? Well, I usually will say you should call call Trisha. (laughs) Go to her class. (laughs) That's
0: our favorite answer. (laughs) And I also
1: will will um direct them to the simply birth um stuff over at the hospital as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so basically just
0: Helping them to inform themselves and become more educated. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. And if, you know, I'll, I'll try and talk to them if they have questions or, or whatever. Um, and I can direct them to different websites. Yeah. Um, Do you have any favorites? I send a lot of people to Spinning Babies. Yeah. We love Spinning Babies. A lot babies. for exercises and stuff to help their backs and yeah. that kind of thing. What type
0: of preparations are making the difference in a good ideal birth outcome?
1: I, I think just recognizing that they need to do like positive affirmations, kind of meditate on it, Mm -hmm. just again, getting in your head and being like, okay, this is going to be okay. I'm, you know, I, I had a patient, um, that said millions of women have done this before. I can do this. You know, that kind of a thing that, um that helped her sure <laughs> She's okay. like okay this helped me I don't know that that always works yeah but um and a lot of times when I'm with a patient at the end especially at the end of what right before they deliver and everybody well most everybody gets to the point where they're like I can't do this I right. can't do this right and that's usually when we know okay the baby's coming yeah <laughs> that means you are this you're, close <laughs> you're almost done yeah
0: The second annual birth expo hosted by the Southern Utah Birth Village nonprofit organization is coming up in just a few short weeks on August 5th, 2023. This expo is loaded up with lots of booths for you to visit and an amazing speaker schedule. The speaker schedule starts off strong with a Q&A session with a doula panel, followed by one of our keynote speakers, Dr. Jodi Singh. She's a naturopathic doctor here in town and she was on the podcast earlier this year. Dr. Singh will be giving a comprehensive guide to fertility and infertility. After Dr. Singh, we have a second panel to teach all about postpartum, placenta encapsulation, recovery, and breastfeeding that will really set you up for success in a postpartum journey, whether that's coming up soon or a little farther in the future. Lastly, our other keynote speaker, Dr. Paul Thomas, will be speaking on vaccine education. Dr. Thomas is a pediatrician who is knowledgeable about both the latest scientific research and the community's disease exposure. He's respectful of a family's risk factors, health history, and concerns, and he's the author of the Vaccine Friendly Plan. Find more information about the expo and purchase your tickets on our website, thebirthvillage.org. General admission tickets are $5 pre-sale and $10 at the door. And we also have a VIP ticket option for $20 that includes admission for two people, access to all the speakers' PowerPoint presentations, and a goodie bag. VIP tickets are limited and are only available for purchase before the day of the expo. We can't wait to see you there.
1: So they do. They end up having the best birth for them. and and. Sometimes it's, you know, they ended up getting an epidural and they didn't plan on it, but they, but they have a good mindset of I'm going to do what I need to do for this baby, for this birth and, and, um. And that's great. And I
0: I personally do think that that is also what makes the difference between an empowered birth and and a birth experience where you're leaving feeling disappointed or, um, you know, if something, Mm -hmm. if you're really solid on this birth plan that you need to have and it Mm -hmm. goes differently, that's not really... The definition of being empowered mm-hmm. is going in with your like unchangeable birth plan. Mm-hmm. It's being able to feel informed and supported and safe. And like you've got a lot of people on your team that want the same things as you, but also we're all going to put your health and well being first. Right. And right. leaving the experience no matter what happened, knowing and feeling like that had to happen. And I'm grateful for that happening. Like that's an empowered birth experience. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So. And a lot of times, I learned this in a postpartum um, depression conference I went to, a lot of times it's those switches that weren't supposed to happen, supposed Mm. to, in air quotes. Like a change in in the plan. A change in the plan. Those are a lot of times are what can trigger postpartum depression. So if Mm -hmm. we have something like that happen, I try and go and talk to them about it after that and even just say, what do you have replaying in your head? What Mm. can I help you understand? Yeah. You know, why did we do this or whatever? And that seems to help. I mean, it doesn't clear everything, but it does help. That's amazing.
0: We regularly have people that want to ask some questions about (laughs) (laughs) about specific hospital protocols and different things like that. Um, Can we talk about some of those things? Mm -hmm. So we... We often want to have people, we often have people wanting to know, like, why do I have to have an IV or even like a saline lock? So let's talk about that.
1: Okay. That's the big one, right? Yeah. <laughs> I even wrote down a couple of notes. That's my only. <laughs> 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 anyway. So just some background. When you're pregnant, you have about 50% more blood volume than you normally have. Mm-hmm. So that's good. That's kind of your body's way of helping to protect you. Yeah. Um, and you have... When you're pregnant, about 600 milliliters per minute going into your uterus, into your placenta. When you're not pregnant, it's 75 milliliters. Say the numbers again. 600 milliliters versus 75. That's huge. Yeah. Like when I'm assisting with Dr. Lent doing a C-section, we see vessels near the uterus that are as big as your finger. (gasps) I mean, they're huge. Incredible. And then they shrink after... You know, your postpartum yeah. time and all that kind of stuff. So it's, there's a lot of blood flow going to your uterus. Yeah. That's the, that's the ultimate um, thing I wanted to say, I guess, for that. But, and then the placenta, um, it's like a, you know, a small dinner plate size. Mm-hmm. And that is the size of the wound that we're trying to keep closed. Mm-hmm. And that's got a lot of blood vessels coming there. And so the reason we want to keep it closed is so you don't bleed too much too fast. Right. Okay. Um, so to go to the IV piece of it, yeah. the reason we like a saline lock at least is the saline lock is nice because you don't have to be hooked up to anything. So let's,
0: um, I, I'm saying I've threw out that word saline lock, but will you explain what that means also?
1: Yes, I will. So saline lock is, it's kind of the basis of the IV. So they put the, um, the, the needle in, then the plastic catheter stays inside of it. So the Mm -hmm. actual needle leaves, Mm -hmm. that's kind of a misconception from some people. Um, And then they just have this little plastic tube inside your vein and they've got it blocked off, but it's ready and taped on so that if something were to happen, like if you did have a hemorrhage or we were worried about uh, preeclampsia or Mm -hmm. something like that with seizures, then we would have immediate access yeah. So it saves time.
0: And saves a, a an amount of time that's significant if you're right. dealing with something so extreme like that. With an emergency, yes.
1: Yeah. And when you're in an emergency like that, a lot of times your veins will contract when they're like in your arms and legs wow. and shunt to the middle. Sure. So that you keep your blood going to your heart and your head, right? So Yeah. Wow. So that that's another thing because then it becomes a little bit more difficult or sometimes a lot more difficult Mm -hmm. to get an IV in. So we're just being like precautionary. Right. Yeah. Right. It just puts everybody at a little bit less. um, They're, they're not as nervous about it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that that's a really good explanation because I I think people want to know if I'm not having any medications and I, Know for sure that I don't want to have it. Whatever they're gonna say, mm-hmm. um, we're just being really extra careful. Mm-hmm. We just want to make sure that we can take care of you in every circumstance that comes up or right. everything that right. might happen. So
1: right, and I—I I mean, I have delivered some moms that have just said I—I I don't want an IV, and yeah. I usually will just talk to them, tell them why we do it, uh-huh. and then um, let them have that option. If it's if it's somebody that's high risk though, then I'm gonna really have a hard time telling them (laughs) they don't need to have an IV. Yeah. It's just not safe. Right. Right. Going back to what we just talked about. Yeah. (laughs) And especially if you've had a long birth, Mm -hmm. if your uterus gets tired. It doesn't want to contract because it's actually the contraction of the uterus that causes those vessels to, um, to just get cut off basically. So you're not bleeding into the uterus so Mm -hmm. much. Mm So, um, so those, that long labor, Anybody that's had more than, like, they've had twins or whatever, that stretched your uterus out more and and those kind of things, so.
0: Okay. Um, Another one that we get questions about a lot is the monitoring. Mm -hmm. So could you go over some of the options for monitoring and why monitoring is so important? Yes.
1: Yes. So when, when people first come into the hospital, we like to do at least a non-stress test and a non-stress test is supposed to be not stressful. <laughs> so, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, it's just, watching the baby with the monitor <gasps> so don't your work belly. yourself up over no, it, is what you're saying I <laughs> well i tell people we need to do non-stress tests and the reason we do that is because it tells us a lot about the health of the baby okay if the baby's doing okay because we can't just like look inside and say oh yeah that baby's fine mm-hmm. you know this is the best way we have to do that mm-hmm. um so the so we do the non-stress test and I tell people we need a non-stress test. And usually it's like, Oh, I need a stress test. I'm like, no, it's a non-stress <laughs> test. It's not <laughs> supposed to be stressful, but it tells us how the baby's doing. And it, um, if somebody is coming in for like a simply birth, we'll do a 20 minute non-stress test and then we'll do intermittent monitoring. Okay. Mm-hmm. For somebody that's very low risk, um, that we're not concerned about like preeclampsia. We're not concerned about gestational diabetes or, or those kinds of things. Right. Those things we're going to want continuous monitoring for. Okay. Um, And if we were to see something on the monitoring, the intermittent monitoring or the non-stress test, we may say we need to monitor more again, because we just want to make sure the baby's doing okay. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not fun to have the belts strapped on when you are in labor and you are going unmedicated, mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable. Um, they have a really cool new, um, they have a cool new monitor, and I, I know it is the Monica. I'm not sure if that's still okay. <laughs> calling it or not. <laughs> I know, but it's um, they basically they tape it on your belly, um, and it doesn't have any. It has what five little spots they tape on your belly. Oh, cool. And um, you can go in the tub with it. You can walk around with it. Um, it's, it's a pretty cool monitor. Okay. So it helps us. We're able to continuously monitor the baby, but give the moms some freedom to be able to walk around in that. So if, if you're kind of wanting to monitor the baby, if we're wanting to monitor the baby, but you're not wanting that pressure, um, then we can do that, that monitoring device. And that's pretty cool.
0: That is really cool. Will you tell us a little bit more about a non-stress test? So like what it's going to look like? Also, why are we doing it? And you're saying like, we do not want this to be a stressful thing. So I think understanding exactly what's going to happen and why we're doing
1: it would be helpful. Okay. That sounds like a good plan. So um, a non-stress test is where they put the monitor on your belly to listen to the baby. So it's similar to a Doppler that the doctor is going to do in or midwife or whoever is going to do in the office, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's something that's going to be um, kind of strapped onto your belly for 20, 30 minutes. Okay. Okay. And it it listens to the baby and it also monitors your uterus. So it tells us if you're having contractions or not. Okay. So the reason we like non-stress tests is because just looking at the baby's heart rate in conjunction with the contractions and all that can tell us how baby is doing. Okay. So if we're seeing some some things like... Um, the things we like to see, we'll start there. Yeah. Um, just some good variability, which means I had somebody say, um, when I was, when I was being taught as a labor nurse, um, you want mountains and trees. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> On the baseline, kind of like, say, if your baby's heart rate's right around 140, it's uh-huh. going to, it's not going to all be 140. It's going to be like 140, 145, 150, right. but kind of just around that number, uh-huh. it might be down to 135 and all that. That's normal. And those are kind of the trees. Um, And then the mountains are the accelerations. And those are when, like when you exercise, uh-huh. your heart rate goes up, right? Right when baby's moving, or if baby gets stressed, then the baby's heart rate can go up. And so we watch for that and we see, okay, is, are we having that acceleration? Are we, um, and we should have two accelerations within 20 minutes and that's a non-stress test. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: So it looks like mom is in a room, she's got the monitor on her belly and we're hanging out for 20 to 30 minutes to gather information.
1: Yes. Okay. If, if they're, planning on the simply birth. They need to have that before they can go back into the simply birth. If they're coming in for a labor triage and we're not sure what's going to happen, then they'll have them in that room Mm -hmm. for probably an hour or so. Okay. But again, if they need to get up and walk around, they can do that too. They just have to talk to their, talk to the nurse and say, Hey, I'd like to be up, not just laying down. Okay. Okay. Will you
0: tell us about the length of a stay after someone delivers
1: their baby? It depends. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What on? So simply birth, I think they're still doing 12-hour stays if moms want it. Um, They just want to make sure, the pediatricians want to make sure baby's doing okay before we send them home. Um, Most insurances, I think it's actually a state law, and don't quote me on that, though, but (laughs) it was. (laughs) I don't know if it still is, but they have to be able to... um, stay for 48 hours after a vaginal birth or I think up to 96 after a c-section okay they don't have to stay that long okay but the insurance is supposed to pay for it that long okay I don't know if that makes sense and I think that came and again when I first started nursing we were we were kicking people out at 12 hours all the time when it wasn't necessarily a good idea okay they maybe weren't quite ready right I mean I think there are a group of people that it works great for sure. But there's a group of people, especially like brand new moms, trying to figure out how to nurse and all that kind of stuff. It may not be the best option for them. Yeah. So I think that's how the law came about. And that was years ago, but I think it's still in play. Okay. So um, probably most of our patients go home within about 24. And C-sections will do 48 to um, 72 hours, two, two to three days.
0: Yeah. Okay. Is there anything, any other practices in the hospital that you feel like we should go over that I'm missing? Protocols, policies, stuff like that.
1: Probably group B. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. So, um, and they just started doing this when I started. There's a lot of stuff <laughs> when I started, but they were doing rapid group B strep tests. And um, I think the ones that they have now, the rapid ones that they do now are better than the ones they were doing when I started. Um, but that's what we would do. We do a rapid group strep once group B strep, when somebody would come in, in labor. And then if they came back positive, we would treat them with an antibiotic. Mm-hmm. Group B strep is totally normal bacteria for women. You know, it's mm-hmm. a, a vaginal rectal, um, bacteria. 25% of women have it. It does not bother us. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. um, But if baby gets that infection, um, through birth, then it can be a really big deal. Babies can get septic and they, they die really quick. Mm. And so that's one of those, um, that's one of those things. There are some things I'm like, yeah, this is fine. And there are other things I'm going to try and educate the heck out of you (laughs) Mm because I really am concerned about this because I'm worried about. Um, the baby and mm-hmm. I know moms are too, but they have different information that's coming from them yes. that they're getting. Um, but it's like I don't. I wish I had the numbers. I might have to. I might have to call you and get you the numbers. <laughs> but it was a significant change, like one in four hundred, and then we started treating one to thirteen thousand. Oh, I mean it's significant. Okay, Um, and. These babies, even if they if they get group B strep and they're not treated, or they're treated but um, and they and they don't die, they um, a lot of times will have um, morbidities or or problems oh. after. So it's not it's not just a okay baby's alive, okay good. Mm-hmm. There's other things that are going to play into what's happening for baby. Okay, so that's that's another reason that we push for the. For the antibiotic. I know I've had some people say, well, that's going to mess up baby's gut. Baby's gut is sterile until after they're born. So it's going to, that's really not going to affect it that much. Well, let's then discuss the protocol because maybe people don't know what that looks like
0: if they're taking antibiotics. What does that even mean?
1: So it's something we do in labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. It's an IV antibiotic. Um, Penicillin, if you're not allergic, that's the one that's the most, um, that takes care of it the very best. And we, we give it to you. We, we want you to be treated for about four hours mm-hmm. before we consider that you're treated. Okay. Um, and then we will give you antibiotic every four hours until delivery. After that, we don't do any more antibiotics. Okay. Unless there's something else going on, but it's not because of the group B strep.
0: Okay. Hmm. And you said like 25% of women have group B strep. So mm-hmm. is that, that's who's testing that, that many women are testing
1: positive during pregnancy too? Uh So we, we test the last when you're about 36 weeks along Okay, because the test is good for about five weeks because it can come and go. You may have it one time and not another time. So we, we definitely test for that and just make sure, you know, things are going okay. And if not, then we say, this is what we think we should do. And, um, And things are still going okay. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to make sure that we don't have a problem for baby. Mm -hmm. Is there, can you like do a retest
0: if it, if you test positive and you're really concerned about the antibiotics or something like that?
1: It's not really accurate and it's not recommended. I mean, I have done it a few times. It always comes back the same, even Mm. when they've tried other things. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and actually we do a urine culture at the very beginning of the pregnancy when you come in to see us. Yeah. And we send that. And if that comes back with group B strep in the urine, we know that you're very well colonized and we're going to plan on treating you <laughs> in labor. Okay. So we treat you at ana- with an antibiotic then because we do, we don't want you to have a bladder infection in yeah. labor because that can easily go to a kidney infection and cause yeah. a lot of problems for you and for the baby. So we treat those pretty seriously. We want to make sure that those are taken care of and then we'll treat you again in labor. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's, I mean, we could, I
0: could pick your brain about all this stuff forever, but I'll cut myself off, I guess. (laughs) I could talk to you guys forever. We we would love it. We would love it. We'll just have to have you back. But um, will you, is there anything that you feel that you would like
1: to share with our listeners? Yes. So, um, probably the biggest thing I've learned on this journey again, I've had, I've had kids for my oldest is going to turn 10, um, in August. Crazy! Ooh. So I'll have been a mom for 10 years Yeah, and I've learned a lot as a mom and, um, I, I struggle with mom shaming. I Ooh. just think there's so much of that going on. In our culture and in the world and all that. And, Mm -hmm. and I get to talk to these moms one-on-one all the time. And it's honestly my favorite part of my job. Mm. I get to help these women have their babies and then they come back and they have another baby and I get to be with them through the process Mm -hmm. and I get to know them. I get to know who they are. I get to know what they're excited about what they want and all that kind of stuff. And I love it. Honestly, it's my very favorite part of my job. Yeah. And not one of these moms comes in and says, I want to be a bad mom. Let me see what <laughs> I can do to, to mess up my kid. Right. Right. But there's so much mom shaming that happens. You yeah. have to breastfeed for this long and this, you know, whatever. Well, what about the mom that can't produce milk? Yeah. You know, no matter how she tries, what about the mom who, um, emotionally just can't do that for yeah. their baby and that's okay. They still have ways to feed their baby. You know what I mean? And And we need to be better at supporting and loving and lifting each other. That is like my biggest, that's my biggest thing Mm -hmm. is just um, how can we help each other? How can we lift each other? What, um, I don't know. I just love all these women and they're so different. It's such a diverse group. I mean, it's so amazing to be able to connect with all of these women that are so different Mm -hmm. um and hear their stories everybody's got a story yeah and I love that um so I really want to encourage people to love each other and to say okay well that might not work for me and my family but it's working for you and your family great yeah you know that's awesome yeah so so I'm starting a little Instagram we'll see how it goes I love that tell us what it is still figuring it out it's called good, it's good job mom, but it's good dot job dot mom. Okay. So it's brand new. We're not yeah, posting it's yet. It's brand new. Okay. Like I just have the profile picture on it <laughs> and that is it. Morgan's going to help me figure out how yeah, to do stuff. I'll help you. Um, <laughs> so. I, I think that's really...
0: Huge and really important. Everybody obviously has their reasons for the things that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And everybody, every single person's reasons are going to look different from somebody else's, even if they're doing the same thing. Yep. Right. Yep. So we, we can keep an open mind and just kind of know, like I'm doing what's best for me and I trust you that you're doing what's best for you. We're all just doing our best. Right. And it's going to look different day to day, person to person, so maybe, yeah, let's stop being a little bit judgy on other people and and maybe be a little bit more gentle towards ourselves too yes. when we're just doing our best and it looks a little sad.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't know about you guys, but like growing up, you have this picture in your head, how it's going to go yeah. and who's going to... Um, you know, who's going to be involved and, and all of these things. I mean, I, I planned on, I was going to grow up, I was going to get married. I was going to have six kids and I was (laughs) going to, you know, I wasn't going to work. I was going to stay at home and all of these things. And that's just not the way my life turned out. Yeah. And it turned out so much better. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so awesome. It's so wonderful, but even people that that's their dream and that's what happens, like, okay, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to get married. I'm going to stay home. I have six kids. (laughs) It looks different than what you think when you're fifteen. Yes. Right. Yes, it's, totally true. It's a whole different journey. Yeah. And I think we're just all doing the best we can and we um I I just think we need to love and support each other and, and offer help if we can and Build each other up. Build each other up. Yeah. That's the way that
0: we're all gonna become better too. Right. And and have better capacity for better decisions and better things is to Build each other up. If we tear each other down all the time and tear ourselves down, like we're not getting anywhere. No. And we right. got stuff to do, guys. Yeah. We gotta build each other up. Exactly.
1: <laughs> I agree. Thank you. That's that is a great,
0: <laughs> a great way to sum that up. Well, thank you. Thank you for that advice. It's really beautiful coming from you who has all that experience talking with all of these different mamas. Mm-hmm. And it's it just sounds a little different coming out of your mouth, and it's been great to hear it. And thank you for all of the wisdom that you've shared with us and thank you for being on our team and helping us try to bridge the gap between home
1: birthy people
0: and hospitaly people. And we're all just, <laughs> we're all just trying to get healthy babies and healthy mamas.
1: I agree. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for having me. I have just really enjoyed it.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure. We're grateful for you. We're so lucky to have you in our community. Um,
1: do you know whether or not you're going to be at the expo? I don't know yet. Okay. I don't know yet. Okay. I'm going to have to look at my calendar. I I think I have a family thing that day, but oh, I will no. double check. <laughs> well, I, I might be know, able to come for part of come. it. At least. <laughs> well,
0: if you're there, we can look out for you. But there is going to be representatives from the hospital at the expo. So I'm just telling anybody that's listening, um, look out for that because we definitely want to get to know all of our amazing, beautiful, wonderful nurses and hospital staff and
1: anyways um awesome what a great opportunity you guys that's fabulous
0: thank you so just as a reminder to everyone listening that's on august 5th it's coming up we're so so excited you can buy your tickets now head to the southern utah birth expo page on instagram click on that link in the bio or the southern utah birth village you can buy the tickets on both places um, you know what? I'll throw the link up there too. head over to the birth village podcast. If you want to buy tickets to the expo, Katie, if someone wants to be in contact with you somehow, we, we just heard about your Instagram. Um, <laughs> but do you like, are you accepting patients and stuff?
1: Yes, I do accept okay. patients, but again, I'm trying to be a mom and trying to, yeah, to be a midwife. And, and if I'm in town and I can do a, a birth, I want, I like to be there for that. Okay. So, um, but then I also have um, Tina Fout and Dr. Lent are people that will cover for me too. And they're okay. amazing. But I, I usually will cap it around 12 in a month. Mm. So I tell people to, as soon as you know you're pregnant, just give them a call. Yeah.
0: Because so. then you, the sooner you call, the sooner you're getting on the, on the book. Right.
1: Right. Okay. And they'll kind of put it in. And you know, you guys things can happen. only be booked out nine months, right? Right. <laughs> right. So as soon as you know, go ahead and give us a call. Okay
0: awesome and how do they where do they call oh
1: um it's it's st George ob gyn four three five six seven four zero nine 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 perfect
0: thank you so much um okay and you guys know already you can contact us on Instagram send us an email at the birth village podcast at gmail.com or you can call us and leave us a voicemail at 424-444-1BVP or 287. So 1287 would be the last four of those numbers. Um, we love to hear from you. Please, if you're feeling so generous, leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform you're listening on. That helps us be able to spread our message further. And we are just trying to empower. You guys know that. So Anyways, thank you, Katie, for being here. Thanks to all our listeners for listening. Thanks to Trish for the moral support in the corner. And I'll leave you with this reminder. Empowered women, empower women.